Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Well, hey everyone, and welcome back to A Little Better. We are so glad to be having um, a very special edition of the podcast. And when I say we're very glad, what I mean is that we are very glad to be welcoming some guests to the podcast. What I don't mean by well, very glad is that this is a somber time um, for our community, for our world. There's a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, and a lot of pain for a lot of you know very valid reasons. So um, I want to make sure that my when I say we're, we're excited, we're excited because we get the honor of having two very special people, which I want to introduce right now. So we have Pastors Melvin and Ashley Cross with us. They are the pastors of Glory House International, uh, a church here in Rochester, and we're so glad to have you guys with us. Thanks for joining. Thank Thanks for having Thanks us, Aaron. We're, we're excited and honored to be here with you guys. Let's go. Let's go. This is awesome. I'm ready. Yeah. Drew, uh, Drew and I were discussing a little bit about um, the events of this weekend and definitely wanting to uh, make sure we had a chance as a church to, uh, I don't know, just change up the podcast format. We started a new series on marriage this weekend, and typically we have a sermon-focused conversation, just kind of basically Drew and I doing community group <laughs> um, and talking about our, our issues um, and recording it and showing it to our people. But um, this time we want to make sure we're talking about everything from, you know, the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery and um, George Floyd and everything that's happened in, you know, across state lines and then even in our own city um, over the weekend. So I uh, wanted to have some pe- some people who could give us an, a fresh perspective for our church. So uh, as a biographical note to begin, um, Melvin and Ashley, like I said, started the church in 2014, but met in seminary. Uh, Melvin's working on his doctorate. Ashley has done all kinds of work, including being one of the main contacts that has helped our church even get involved with Care Portal. And Care Portal is probably the thing that I might be most proud about that our mm. church is involved in. And actually, I should be saying that it's really just Ashley. <laughs> so thank you for your leadership in that in our community and what a difference that's making. Thank yeah, you, you guys have strong care portal leadership. Josh Horn has done an amazing job committing mm. um, it, and he's been so much help. He's been a resource to me. So, care portal is very successful because of people like Josh Horn. So, in Northridge. Hey, Aaron, before we get all serious and, and have a really important conversation, I just need to know one thing. Melvin, when you get your doctorate, uh-huh. is Ashley going to have to call you Dr. Melvin? Well, so she just she just completed her doctorate. Oh, oh my man. goodness! How did oh, I not man. know this? Ah. She doesn't like me to call her Doctor Ashley, but I walk around the house calling her Doctor Ashley. I was gonna let him have. I wasn't even gonna mention it. I was gonna, yeah, he's the one getting she, his doctorate. She's like, no, man, you don't have to call me that. But I'm like, when I get mine, you gotta call me Doctor Cross. Oh my oh. word! Two doctors in the same house. I just want to hang up on the Zoom call because I feel really dumb right now. <laughs> For, dude, <laughs> same. Ashley, I'm so sorry. I read your bio on the website and it didn't say anything. I'm a jerk. It's okay, no problem. She's real modest and humble. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that would be oh, the first goodness. thing I would have said. I'd be like, <laughs> it's Dr. Drew. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I make Ashley, my wife, call me Master Drew. So, <laughs> oh, Which is why uh, we are not discussing the marriage series this weekend. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, that's crazy. So, no, yeah. Thank you for... Uh, Drew, lightening it up a little bit. And actually, you guys in, in the home, you've got you've got a two-year-old. What's what's uh, quarantine been like with a two-year-old? Harper is full of energy. So Ashley's an introvert's introvert. I am an extrovert, extrovert, and Harper is 
with her father's daughter. <laughs> oh, let's go. <laughs> insane around they this really house. They really do. Dancing, They're, they're both extra. That's how I describe it. <laughs> Forget extroverted. Extra loud, extra dramatic, extra energy, extra. So um, sometimes I go and hide myself in a corner and just breathe, but... It's been good. It's been good. She's full of joy and it's great having a very happy child. Definitely during this time, you know, even before everything happened with just the coronavirus and all of that, she's just, she's been our little sunshine. So it's been kind of fun being locked in the house with her at times, but it, it gets a little much at times. One funny story is, you know, we're out trying to change the world and she doesn't care anything about it. (laughs) That's for sure. Yesterday, help cleaning up. My sister had Harper with her, so Harper calls our phone, and uh, she says, "Mommy, Daddy, can you bring me French fries and chicken home?" You know, like, <laughs> like, it keeps us humble all the time. Always, but the <laughs> truth is, she kept saying, "No, call Daddy," because she knows Cause she knew gonna Daddy get was going to get it. So she, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's right. She found the weakness. Yeah, yeah. so I could hear her keep saying, "No, Daddy, no, Daddy." Yeah. <laughs> like, so I'm the and it says, Harper, who bought you this chicken? Like, <laughs> so. Yeah. That is funny. Oh, isn't there, there's a story of um, Barack Obama before he ran for president. Wasn't he, they was like talking to one of his daughters, putting her to bed, like, should I run for president? And she was just basically like, yeah, if you want. And then rolled over and fell asleep. And that's like how he made the decision to run. <laughs> the kids yeah. just, they don't care, man. They don't. Uh, I love it. I love it. We're Drew and I are both in the uh, in the little kid running around phase, and uh, Connor, who's muted right now but on it, is about to enter parenthood for the first time. So you'll you'll get it, my friend. You'll get it. <laughs> Although for a little while they make a lot of noise, and the kind of joy they bring is uh, very different than when they're two. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, twenty days till the due date. You just sent a message. Congratulations. Excited <laughs> for you and Nick. Congrats, Connor. But yeah, so we, it's been a, it's been a joy, and she's one of our constant reminders of why we do what we do, especially mm. in this day and age, and uh, just bringing awareness and speaking about justice and equity in our own community um, as well as the world. And so she's one of our whys. Yeah, yeah. That's speaking so beautiful. Of, speaking of children, I think that's a great starting place. Like yesterday, I got to sit down Ashley and I with our oldest, Joelle. She's six, and she knows kind of something's going on in our country, in our community. And it was a joy to sit down and talk with her about certain things that are going on and just kind of instill in her, um, you know, truths about injustice. She had a bunch of questions and it was hard to talk to a six-year-old about what's going on, but I, I loved her heart. Like you could just see that she was like, why would things like this happen? She didn't understand it. And, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, all that's going on, you know, how you guys felt, your, your perspective when kind of the events unfolded, you know, how, give us the perspective of, you know, being in the minority culture, what this feels like and, you know, what's going through your head and your hearts. Yeah, I, I know for me personally, um, it's been a whirlwind of emotions. Um, I, I think Melvin and I constantly say, I don't see how someone can navigate through this world um, without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, because he keeps us centered and he keeps us remembering the purpose of all of this. 
Um, so even just yesterday, we were talking about all this, just kind of wrestling through our own frustrations with the response and everything that's been going on. And um, we've been able to, to come back to the center of this is, a, this is the result of sin. <laughs> we're seeing sin on every side. We're seeing, you know, the, 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 the consequences of sin manifest on every side. Um, but, you know, as a black woman and a black man raising black children, um, it's hard. We, we, we find a lot of time trying to make sure that we don't have more of an allegiance to our race and our culture than we do an allegiance to our faith. Um, but at the same time, not discounting our race. Um, and so that, that is a constant battle. It is, it is a constant battle. We have to wake up every morning and recenter ourselves on the truth of the gospel. And then we have to remember, you know, at the end of the day, and I think I posted this on Facebook, um, I, I, our children are going to read about this in their history books. And I, I want to, I want them to be proud of us. I want to know that we've raised children that are compassionate, but strong, you know, yeah. and in that strength, I want us, I want people to find meekness, you know? And yeah. so it's so much as a, as a woman, you know, raising at this point, all girls, you know, how do I want them to kind of read our story? What do I want them to read about us and to know about us? Yeah, This has been an extremely emotional time for us. Um, one, um, just ident- just not ignoring the fact that we are not only Christians, but we're black. Um, I saw a pastor yesterday. He had a sweatshirt on. He says, hey, your pastor's black. So this yeah. affects the world. This affects all of us. And so realizing that in God's wisdom and his cre- creativeness, he created us all as humans, but he had some diversity in that creation. So for us to realize, hey, there's blacks, there's whites, there's Asians, there's all of us, and not looking at our difference as a divide, but looking at our difference as something that can bring us together. Mm-hmm. Appreciating our difference, valuing our difference, and doing what the scripture says, preferring our brother over ourselves. And like Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourselves. This is the most important commandment. And when we can learn to do that, I feel like we can get a grasp and a handle on all of this chaos that's happening in the world. Because reality is, I've over the past few days, I've cried at least twice. Mm-hmm. I've cried at least twice, sitting in my bed or just reading. I'm like, how can this still be happening? But the reality is that we live in a fallen world that is still in need of the love of Christ. Yeah, I think for me, you know, when you read history books as a kid, you think that that's in the past and that you'll never have to live through that again. So when he was out at the protest recently, he went face. He went. He did Facebook Live. And hearing the people chant Black Lives Matter, I was in the kitchen and I, I just started crying because in my mind, I'm like, wait, why are, how are we here again? How am I home with my two year old and my husband is out protesting and we're in 2020? Like it mm. hit. We're just repeating something. We read about this with Martin Luther King and we praised him for what he did. But now my husband is out protesting right now. And I'm telling him to go Facebook Live. He thinks it's because I want to see what's going on, but it's really just to kind of keep tabs on him. I'm like, I want to know if you're safe. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my whole mind behind this is like, babe, go out, let's do this. But there is that piece of me as a a wife that's like, but please don't get hurt. Like, please don't hurt my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's there's even trying to make sure that every day we're we're confronting our own fears. You know, there there is a level of fear that I you know, have to fight and battle every day. Um, and so that, that for me has, has been, it, it's really been a struggle. And then I think every time we speak out about it, we also have to be 
ready to lose something, which is also just for me a level of, yeah. of fear. I, I personally have lost friends who were white. Um, when I started my girl's home in Tulsa, I lost board members and donors. Um, when I began to speak out about racism, when the whole Philandro Castro and, and um, Sandra Bland were murdered, those two hit really home for me. And so when I spoke out about it on my platform, I lost so much support. So even in that, this time I had to weigh that, like I have a job and am I going to lose support, you know, when you speak out? So there's so much that we, yeah. we have to grapple mm-hmm. right before we, we decide to make any decision. Um, and one reason why this conversation is so important and why, why we are grateful for Drew and Northridge is because we, we don't necessarily look to the world to understand, but we look for our brothers and sisters of the faith. Yeah, let's go. Mm-hmm. Our pain, because if the roles were reversed, I would hope that I would run to my brother's aid and, and just be there, just to be able to be to have sympathy. And bro, I don't understand. I've never been through what you've been through, but I'm here for you. The reason why I'm hurting is because you're hurting. And that's one, that's one component that I feel that the body that we need to perfect is just really preferring our brothers. And our brothers are not always those who look like us. Yeah. It's not always those of the socioeconomic, same socioeconomic class, it's not those of the same race or ethnicity. Our brother, what makes us brothers and sisters is the shed blood of Christ. And when we make that the priority, we can feel the pain of one another. And not just saying, oh, well, you know, they're always looking at it from their perspective or for their lens, but they can actually look at it from the lens of the ones who are actually hurting. Yeah, and I, I think for me, there is such a deep feeling of betrayal when it's our brothers and sisters in Christ that don't understand, or even, it's not even don't understand, refuse to understand. Mm. I'm okay with someone saying, I don't understand. But it, it's a different level of betrayal when it's the, don't pull the race card, you know, or this isn't about race, or, you know, the, those really hit home for me. I expect for sinners to be sinners and I expect for them to respond according to their sin nature. So that's why the, the rioting and the looting, I don't, we don't like that, but it's not a surprise to me. That is, that, that is the oppressed, that is the poor, they're doing what it is that they know how to do. But when I look to the body of Christ, I expect something completely different. I expect compassion. I expect, expect this open dialogue. I expect for us to seek wisdom and understanding and knowledge together. And I expect for our, our engagement to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so when that doesn't happen, it's, it's a different level of pain than if a sinner came up to me and slapped me in my face. That, God, that doesn't bother me one bit. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a different level when it comes from our brothers and sisters of the faith. And especially when we find our identity in Christ, like that's something that is in our the depths of our hearts, the, the depths of our souls. And so we look for those who have that same identity to come up and help bear us, you know, bear the same infirmity, bear us, bear that same weakness that we're having, having to carry. And, and then we have to wrestle through, well, do we, do we have the same identity? Like, are we, I thought we were on the same page. I thought read the same Bible. I thought we believed the same things. And so when you start to, it's almost like a conflict within your family. Like if you realize like mom and dad are all, like, they're not who I thought they were, or my siblings don't hold the same values. Like how did they go off on this path? And I went off on this path and we were raised the same way. You know, I think once you start to have that type of enlightenment, it, you have to say, okay, something went horribly wrong. And what I 
thought was one thing. It's not what it is. Mm. So there's so much that's being wrestled with within the, the black community, specifically black Christians, because a lot of black Christians are starting to realize the people that I worship with every day. I don't know that we're cut from the same cloth. I don't think we believe the same thing. And it's as if we're reading two different Bibles. Wow. Uh, and that within itself is like, oh, what do you do with that? You know? Yeah, <laughs> guys, um, I have like about a thousand questions. <laughs> I'm, I'm equal parts about to cry and just want you to keep talking. So I, um, Ah, there's so much that has been incredibly profound. Thank you guys for sharing um, and being so honest. Um, what what does what, what are some things that have been encouraging from churches in our area? Let's say you know white and black and, and otherwise. And what are some things that have been discouraging? You already mentioned some like playing the race card and that kind of thing. And wow, yeah, go go. One of the most encouraging things that for us from the church is people reaching out to us. Um, we've had people from different races reach out to us. Hey, help me understand. I want to have a part to play. I want to be a part of the conversation. I just don't know what to say. So that honesty is so, it's so reflective because that they're, they're willing to expose their weakness just so that, uh, so that they can understand, so that they can help us carry this burden. So that's been beautiful. We've had pastors text us, email us, reach out to us. Hey, we want to be a part of this conversation. And they're asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, you know, help me, you know. I had one one pastor reach out to me and said, hey, am I a part of the problem? And I just wow. emailed a series of questions. I said, I don't know. I, I don't know you well enough, so I can't say no. I don't want to pass. I don't want to miss this moment of, of us learning together by just pacifying you and saying, no, I don't know. But here are a series of questions. I've also had um, some of, you know, the people in Tulsa that I used to, you know, do Manor House with and, and, and the people that I felt as if they kind of betrayed or, or, or left me. Um, a lot of them, I've started to see them post public apologies. Like, I'm so sorry that I've been silent for years and I'm starting to realize, I think the George Floyd thing, it just, I, I don't, his death, um, it was just different. It was so, for us, a lot of them have hit us, but this one just hit different. Um, So now you're starting to kind of see some of those blinders lifted and people are starting to ask the right questions. I've been actually pretty encouraged by the response. Yeah, and then to see the body of Christ come together yesterday after the chaos chaos and the looting and the the rioting for every, I mean, over two to 3,000 people from the body of Christ came together from different churches to clean up our city. And that spoke volumes that we don't just preach a gospel. We actually live it. But now you're seeing churches actually use the word racism. Like this is racist. This is not okay. Like the R word for years has been like a cuss word. Like, no, they're not racist. How do we know this was race? And I'm like, guys, it was, it was, that was racist. And I, I, I'm, I feel like racism is like, ancient devil. It's an ancient Mm -hmm. demon. It's nothing new. It's all throughout scripture. You know, most of scripture was written during oppressed times when the children of Israel were oppressed by another people group. And so if we continue to sweep it under the rug and never address it, it's going to continue to persist and pervade. And it'll be something that our children have to deal with. And so these conversations help us to bring shed light on it and to really crush that, that, that spirit of division that always creeps into the church when we start to speak about differences. Yeah. Yeah, I loved uh, in your, I think it was this weekend, you you had a 
Melvin, in addition to before your live stream, you made a few comments and prayed. And I loved you prayed against like the ancient devil of racism and bigotry. I think that was the wording. And I, I was, I just thought like, what a profound way to say that because that's, that's the reality. It is, this is no, this is not new in any way. It is the product of sin. It finds this manifestation in our culture and our time. And so we have a responsibility to fight against it, but it's not, it's not new. It's not. Exactly. Yeah. I was just reading Isaiah 26 this morning and it was talking about how the wicked build these cities and the oppressed and the poor trample it. They trample over. Um, and so we're reading and I'm like, this isn't new guys. Like we should mm-hmm. not realize that this is the response to wickedness. Yeah. And, and now we're, now we're left to, to watch it play out again. And now we have the church, you know, Isaiah 26, they didn't have the low, they didn't have the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit filled body of Christ. So we're, mm-hmm. to me, we're at an advantage. We, we, we have the comforter that can come through now and give us direction on how to appropriately um, move forward as a body. Hey, hey, Ashley, you, you mentioned that you've had people reaching out to you in the majority culture, asking the right questions. What are those right questions that us in the majority culture should be asking, should be focusing on? Um, Can you give us some insight into those questions they've been asking you? Yeah. So one of the questions I told you was, you know, am I a part of the problem? They're asking about language and narrative. Um, I've I've had I've had some conversations on black on black crime, you know, because there's been a lot of. Um, white people that I've seen in the past say, well, there's, you guys are killing so much of your own people, you know, so why is it a problem when it's only a white man killing a black man? And that's once again, a false narrative. And I've got to say, no, that's just, that's just crime by proximity. Every people group kill more of themselves because they live amongst more of themselves like that, you know, um, you know, we've, I've had the conversation in regards, regarding to how can I use my white privilege? And that's another touchy subject. Um, it's almost, I've had so many white people that would become very offensive if you use the word white privilege, because what they feel like it does is makes it to where they haven't had any hardships. And it's like, no, no, no. It's just saying you haven't had because of your skin color. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not to say that you were not raised poor or you haven't been oppressed in some manner, but it's just saying it wasn't because of your skin color. Absolutely. Um, And, and that needs said (laughs) again and again, (laughs) Um, but it's 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 asking that question, you know, how can I use my my white privilege, you know, to help overcome this 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 demonic system of oppression and 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 racism? Um, it's it's sitting back and saying, what resources do I have? What am I willing to risk, you know, for this cause? And that's not just a white question. I mean, everybody needs to be asking that question. We've been asking that question. You know, I'm not your, um, we're, we're not, I'm not, at least he, he would beg to differ, but I'm not a civil rights leader. I'm not, that's I'm not my goal. I'm a very passionate, <laughs> yeah. passionate, strong woman. Who I am not, a, I am not about to quit my day job to fight a, a, the civil rights, but I have a role to play. This is mm-hmm. not my champion, but this is my thing to say, who, who can I support to make sure they are very successful in this fight? You know, wow. my heart our children, you know, and, and fighting for children and advocating for children um, and fighting racism is a piece of that, you know. Um, but I think that, that those are questions that we all need to be asking, you know, wow. how, you know, how, how, how am I going to use my resources, um, my passion to help the oppressed? 
those who are oppressed. And when we say help the oppressed, there's a difference between charity and activism. You know, because mm-hmm. often say, well, we give, we donate, we go, and we have the least likely. There's a difference. We want it's a responsibility to go and actually embrace a cause, embrace the perspective of those who are oppressed. Yeah, so, I've I've asked white missionaries before, why is it that you can be so compassionate for little black kids over in Africa? And then you come back to America and you dismiss that there's any oppressed black kids here. There, it's, uh, those questions it's, hurt. <laughs> it's uh, a disconnect, yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's a disconnect. So that's where you have to start to bridge like, okay, wait, why am I doing what I'm doing? Right. And what is, what are my true belief systems? And, and these conversations are not, aren't necessarily us throwing stones at the majority culture. It's like, Hey, Let's pull the blanket back so you can actually see the reality of it. You know, it's, it's and so these conversations are very uncomfortable for the majority of people. But you have to we have to establish relationships that can handle these difficult conversations. You know, after we hang up this this call, after we stop this conversation, Drew's still my brother. You know what That's I mean? Right. Right. We have these hard conversations. It doesn't mean anything. When I was growing up in the house, when me and my brothers would get into a fight. A few hours later, we were walking up to McDonald's together, still laughing and playing. That's what brothers do. That's right. And so it's, even with the body of Christ, when we have these dialogues, it doesn't mean that we need to separate it. We have difficult conversations and we still come together. And, and the funny thing about it is we're not only at, we're not only applying pressure to whites, we're applying pressure to ourselves and other people that look like us. Uh, we, well, we just had a very mm-hmm. intense conversation with one of my sister-in-laws. Because we don't always see eye to eye either, you know. So it's like, you know, those are two black women. My two-year-old daughter was probably like, "What's happening?" Because we were going. At, I was like, "How could you say that?" You know. So we're all wrestling our within our belief systems, and we're all we're all trying to figure this out, you know. So it's not just us, you know, throwing stones and saying, "Hey." And and my biggest thing is, I tell people all the time, this is do not try to guilt white people into this. This is not about mm-hmm. them feeling. There, you know, I don't. I don't want any. I don't want anyone to feel guilty about something that they haven't participated in. But if you if you have, you have to you have to say, okay, no, I have, and this is how I want to move forward in the yeah. you know moving yeah. forward. But it's not about guilting people. Yeah, sure. in, it's not about guilt. And this has been for for me over the last two years. Uh, I'm so grateful for a few friends that really pushed me on this conversation, and I. In starting to read and learn and do some homework on my own, um, I'm coming to realize how many ways you're very gracious, you know, to say like you don't want to guilt people, and I think that that's an amazing approach. I think that's a that's an extraordinarily Christ-like approach for you to take. But for me, I'm thinking like I need to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit for the racism in my heart that I've found and uncovered in very uncomfortable ways over the last couple of years yes. that have been. I mean, I got, I need more guilt. <laughs> like not, you know, I, I'm not that I need you attacking me, but I just mean like, I need, I need more voices. I need more influences. I need more opportunities to realize the sin in my heart because I, Drew, and I think you, you and I have talked about this before. One of the reasons that I, that it's so possible for this to go unaddressed and unchecked in, in like, let's say a predominantly white church is that I think pastors like Drew and I are are accustomed to talking about things on which we are at least to some degree an expert. Okay. You know, like not really, I'm not like an actual expert on the Bible or something, but like enough that I could speak confidently on it. 
But when it comes to systemic oppression and issues of race in our, in our world and in our country, the fact is I'm just, I don't know enough. Like I, I've really only, this was not to the fault of the institutions I've been a part of. This was not part of my training, you know? So I just don't feel ready to make educated sounding statements. And so it was well into my adulthood and pastoring that I even began the educational process which is why I feel so I feel so behind, and then I end up in silence. But I need, that's why I need the guilt. That's why I need the motivation. That's why I need the the learning and the the working of the Holy Spirit in my life to begin the process of change in our church and in my heart. Yeah, and, and Aaron, guilt and conviction produce two different things. That's right. Very true. Yes. Well, yeah. we don't want people being guilty. I don't want people just walking around sad about what happened. Yeah. I want for people to feel the conviction of the Lord and, yeah. and for us to move together, you know, and, and to be yes. with one another. Because there is a such thing in, in this whole sociological conversation called white guilt. Mm. And what it does is it doesn't produce anything of longevity. It's not because mm. we all feel guilty and we're like, eh, we move on. Whereas conviction is something that we can carry consistently. Right. And that's what Paul talks about in Corinthians, right? Like godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow that like actually leads to repentance. And that's what I'm trying to feel in in saying this. I just didn't want to give our, our, you know, predominantly white listeners like the, see, I shouldn't feel guilty. It's like, no, you should definitely feel godly sorrow. Like you should be changing people. Like start reading. Yeah. I think think a lot of people with the majority culture too, just need to pray the prayer David prayed, like search me, Oh God, and know my heart. Cause we can disguise our hearts so easily to cover up the sin that's there that we just don't want to admit. And man, how long did David live in adultery and in murder and didn't even recognize it? And, you know, that's the prayer that I've been praying. Even, even as a pastor is, man, God, there is some rot inside my heart that I can't even see. Will you show it to me? Yeah. Yeah. So for, for the paralyzed ally, let's say somebody, um, thankfully this is not true of some of the leaders of our church, but we, let's just say I am for the first time with the murder of George Floyd experiencing an eye-opening awareness of systemic oppression in our world. I'm a Christian and I want to take my first step. I hate to put the burden of, of growth on you, but what advice would you give to a paralyzed ally? Oh man. I think the the first thing um, is, is to get educated Mm. to the level of which you can, you know, my people perish for what a lack of knowledge. Right. So even with what you were saying that that is the truth for even a lot of black people. I don't, I do not feel a lot of times qualified enough in history to, you know, to, to talk about this stuff. Um, but there, there are Netflix movies that explain like documentaries, Fruitville station. Um, uh, what is the one about the five, um, um central park, five. Central, park central park five, five yeah. Uh, 13, yeah. um, you know, those are really good starting points, but start the conversation yeah. and begin journaling and writing down your own biases you know, what are my biases? You know, you could start with the prayer of David, search me, O Lord, like help, help for me to understand how am I fueling this? Yeah. You know, we all are in one way or another. We all have to confront some piece of our heart that we feel like is, is ugly. Yeah. Um, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to then from there begin to direct you towards the right movements, yeah. the right people um, to really effect change. And one thing that's important, well, two things uh, as it pertains to education 
One thing I want, I've, I've been telling people to look up is the 1921 race riots. Mm-hmm. 1921 um, race massacre. Massacre, race massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they burned down Black Wall Street. It's something that was called Black Wall Street. So when they come into understandings like these, like, wow, these things have been happening, even in the 20th century, even coming into the 21st century, helps people understand. Um, but I, I, at another and, point, go ahead. And none of this will make sense if you don't understand the history. And I kind of... I, did a Facebook status kind of walking through what's happened since Martin Luther King, because you have so many people that say, why don't our protests look like Martin Luther King? He wasn't violent. And I'm like, well, he was actually beaten and then assassinated a week after he did that. I, you know, so he, let's not act like he was a well-loved man. A well-loved man. He was <laughs> right. Right. Um, but since then we've had mass incarceration that started in 1970. You know, we've had um, the war on drugs and that pushed crack cocaine into our cities where black people lived. We were pulling fathers out of the homes and locking them up for nonviolent offenses for years. So now you have a fatherless generation of little black boys that are being raised. You know, there are so many things that add to what we're seeing. So even even white or black, we all have to get to a point where we're like, Lord, what? Show us some of the root of this, because what we're seeing right now is just a manifestation of something that is so deeply rooted, yeah. you know. And so we have to understand the root to ever even get to trying to have any type of really change. quickly. And one thing that's imperative is, and hear my heart when I say this: telling somebody who's hurt, somebody who's wounded, somebody who's oppressed, telling them what to do. Well, you should do this. Well, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't respond like that. That is an absolute no, no. That will build up a barrier that will receive a very visceral or angry response because it's like privilege telling the unprivileged what they should do when your perspective is up here and our perspective is down here. And so having more so of a listening ear and a heart to understand rather than giving your opinion and your ideas. And critically think and don't judge people. You know, it's even as pastors, we, we know that the looting and the rioting is, is not the best. We know that, but I'm not going to judge all of the people who were doing it, you want to know why? Because Rochester is number three in the nation for poverty. So when people have a have an opportunity to steal, do you not think they're going to steal? You That's know, it, it, thinking about that. Um, so those are just some of the things. Start having some of those critical conversations. Start, um, you know, wrestling within yourself about what your beliefs are um, and ask the Holy Spirit to, to be there with you throughout that entire process. Guys, that is unbelievable. And uh, I'm just going to state here that uh, unfortunately, we're very low on time in our Zoom meeting. I have never hated the Zoom limitation more than I do this second. (laughs) I'm sure we're going to have to keep this dialogue going. You guys have just dropped an incredible Mm -hmm. amount of wisdom. We'd love to hear more from you. Thank you so much for your perspective. Thank you. And man, let's just continue to offer a, you know, a joint unified prayer for the people of our city and for the people of our world, especially our brothers and sisters of color who are experiencing such, you know, incredible pain in this moment. We want you to know that we're there for you because of the love of Christ. It compels us to stand with you as brothers. We really appreciate this time. Thank you guys. And uh, I'm sure again, we'd love to keep the dialogue going. And so hopefully we'll, we'll hear from you again. Thanks guys. All right. Thank you.